The Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by Michter's American Whiskies and by 291 Colorado Whiskey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. I've got an interesting guest today. Jennifer Steinhauer is a New York Times reporter. She's also the author of the book, The First. So I think you're going to love this episode. Enjoy this interview with one of the most important reporters in a generation right now. But first, a word from our sponsors. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single barrel and small batch whiskey. Hard made the Colorado way. Our recipe, our stills, independent and always rugged, refined, and rebellious. 291 Colorado Whiskey is proud of its humble roots and excited as we expand to new frontiers. Get your taste of Colorado at 291coloradowhiskey.com. Online orders available or find a bottle near you. Ride it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink responsibly. At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. From careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Michter's gets bottled until our master distiller, Dan McKee, and our master of maturation, Andrea Wilson, say it's just right. Michter's Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. Joining the Fred Minnick Show is Jennifer Steinhauer, a fellow meatloaf lover and author and writer for the New York Times. How you doing, Jennifer? Good to see you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. What a great treat of my day. Yeah, how how have you been during COVID? I know, you know, we follow each other on Twitter and I you yeah. know, I see you kind of getting into it sometimes on the social medias, but how you been overall in, in, in the COVID world? Well, outside of the obvious, you know, kind of just depressive reaction to the whole situation, for me personally, I'm somewhat misanthropic, so it worked well to be locked into my house. I will say in the beginning we had four girls of various college and high school age here all at once. It's challenging at times, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's one of those things, right. Where you learn a lot about who you want to be around based on who you miss mm-hmm. and who makes effort. And I spent tons of time doing zoom yoga with a friend in Tucson who I never used to speak to cause he was always overseas. And, you oh. know, I think it was interesting all these social connections and figuring out, who you actually want to spend time with and 
do you like your house? And you know, it all comes into sharp relief, right? That's a that's a really good point. Now I don't do Zoom yoga, uh, okay. but I did a lot of Zoom bourbon drinking with people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. And we're doing a little bit of that with you as well today. Yep. Now, yep. now, before we kind of got on the before we got going, you know, you're you were kind of uh, like saying like you know you you like to sip stuff, but do you normally drink bourbon? I do. Um, I like to. I usually do. You know, I do a lot of mixed drinks with bourbon. It's kind of my go-to nightly mixed drink. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, different things. Manhattans. I went through a long jag with black Manhattans. I went through a long jag with paper planes. Uh, um, uh, obviously, your classic Manhattans, old fashions, all that kind of stuff. That tends to be my my jump. That's awesome. And of course, everybody, uh, I didn't mention this at the top. I really should have started your bio you know, about your book, the first, the inside story of the women reshaping Congress and how important of a book that is. And, and I'm, I, I got all geeky, uh, uh, about, about you and putting this book out because of my book, uh, whiskey women, the untold story of how women save bourbon, scotch and Irish whiskey. I'm just so, I'm just so passionate about telling the story of, of like, uh, of lost women in, in the whiskey world. And you're you're talking about it from a contemporary standpoint, and I want to get into that a little bit as we're sipping bourbon. But uh, you know, a little bit. Just tell us, like, kind of what what uh, what made you want to write this book, and that, kind of tell us a little bit of how it came to be. Um, so it came to be after the 2018 midterms. Mm-hmm. Um, an editor from Algonquin, Betsy Bleak, smart editor, called me and said, "I'm so fascinated by uh, all these women who won." At that time, it was the biggest number of women in Congress, which was about 24%, pathetically. Now it's about 27. And um, so that was of interest to her, but also because there were so many firsts, you know, first um, Native American women, the first Muslim women, there were many, the youngest woman in that particular class, there was the oldest woman. Um, she did not win re-election, Donna Shalala, but she was there, former cabinet secretary. Obviously you had a lot of people who were the first woman in their district, the first person of color in the district, um, Lauren Underwood, who I always point to, who won in the Chicago suburbs, was the first woman, the youngest person, and the first uh, person of color to win that district. So you just had a lot of these people who were of great interest. And then you had these just very, um, a big variety of resumes and backgrounds. Um, and, you know, if you look at the history of women in Congress, it intersects a lot with your book in the sense that you had a lot of women in those early years who were basically taking the seats of their dead husbands. And one of them was, I think, in jail because of, of, of breaking prohibition laws. <laughs> so, so much of, as you know so well, as whiskey actually underlies so much of our culture, our history, the intersection of, um, of the prohibition movement and the women's movement and suffrage, obviously. And then, obvi- of, of course, yeah. the, the interconnectedness of whiskey and our tax system and everything. So... Um, uh, there's there's a lot of overlap there and things that interest you. But I, I did want to give the history of women in Congress and then talk about where we were now. And, and basically, you know, does it make a difference to examine that question um, to, to have a plurality uh, um, of women in Congress or in any legislative body? What does that mean now? And, and what would kind of to watch the paths of these women uh, over the course of those their first term in Congress and, and, and so on? And one of them, as you know now, is our Interior Secretary, 
which is quite unbelievable for a freshman House member, Deb Holland from New Mexico, cabinet official. So a lot of these women have been politically and um, and in Washington quite successful. Yeah, and, 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 you know, if you look at, like, you know, like AOC, like, you know, she can command a, a media cycle, um, you know, so I, I have found, like, they're they're so engaged with like the modern media as well um and it, it to me it's it's really really fascinating and also I, I it's not just one party like you see women on, on in both parties you know whether uh, however you think politically you do see women in both parties and you do see growth in um women rising up in the political ranks in in all sectors and i was thinking about this this morning on on my walk and that like i really i prefer working with women um, mm-hmm. and and i and i think the reason why is is because it's a conversation uh-huh versus like it's this is my way you know okay. and i and, and i got to thinking about that a little bit today as, as i was thinking about our interview and I, do you, what is it about you know the female gender that allows for conversation versus like a steadfastness this is the way it must be like growing up we call it the cowboy way but like what what is it about that do you think that makes uh, makes i hate to put it this way but your gender it's so much better in like problem solving and it makes them such a good fit in places like congress yeah, I mean, I should be very clear that um, all the research shows, and I've certainly seen it in my years covering Congress, that there isn't a real gender collective when it comes to legislating and voting. People vote by party, by and large. Mm-hmm. Most policy fights go by party. Um, although it's very interesting, I've been covering sexual assault in the military um, for many years, and I just wrote a story today. Um, about a bill that Kirsten Gillibrand from New York has had for a long time to take the power of trying those cases out of the hands of military commanders and putting them in prosecutors. And um, that's somewhat of a partisan issue, not completely, but you know what, what brought her over the edge and has made her able to probably um, have success with that bill um, is a Republican woman who is herself a combat veteran, Joan Yurtz from Iowa. Uh, they don't see eye to eye on pretty much anything but they are able to see eye to eye on that. And um, not only, um, and it's not to say she doesn't have male co-sponsors for that bill and men aren't going to vote for it because she certainly does. Um, but I think that um, those are the types of issues when you start to have a majority of women that you start to see them elevate um, and and come together on. Um, in terms of the cooperation question, I guess that you were asking, I think that women, um, naturally, um, in the workplace and in their family lives, um, have to um, find themselves in that kind of um, mediator uh, mode. Um, sometimes it is the role that we have to embrace um, in very male spaces, um, and sometimes that's just the kind of almost family family systems role that women tend to end up playing within their own families. So I think that that's just a natural role that we fall into often and sometimes perhaps that plays out um in the legislature or in the workplace in a way that can be favorable for outcomes well i think i 
I, I have not read that story you you uh, you wrote uh, today. I experienced it. You know, I was um, I was uh, I was in the army, mm-hmm. and uh, my unit was half women, half men, and that was the sort of thing that we were constantly engaged with. We were always uh, facing and trying to you know make sure that didn't happen. And there was a lot of bad things, um, you know, during my time that we that we discovered. And there's more and more that's coming out about, uh, you know, sexual harassment from from the military during during that time frame. And it's a very it's very disturbing to me because as somebody who was in a unit that was, you know, split 50 50, that was what the leadership we were very focused on that. And and it, it really is. It's a leadership thing, and I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to get too much off uh, subject there because I wanted to get to drinking bourbon with you. But that is that is such an important thing to cover right now. And you know, I I remember I've had people tell me like, why should women being the infantry or whatever? And I look them straight in the eye and I'll tell them, I was like, I would put. Uh, the women that I served with up against anybody, man, yeah. woman, whatever, they were better than most of the men in my unit. I was where would you do basic? Uh, so I was not, I, I, I was infantry and I served in, uh, when I, when I did basic, it was in Georgia and that was in the nineties okay. before women were allowed on that. When I, when I changed into, um, my future MOS, which was 46 Quebec, I was an army photojournalist. Oh, you know, right. We would have we we had a basically we had a split unit, and it was um, you know that took all walks of life. But I, I mean, those women would go on the same, the same combat patrols that I went on. They got fired at as much as and heavily, if not more, you know, than other men because you know in the people we were up against, you know, you if you if they killed a woman that would be. That would be a huge win in their in their propaganda list. So, Interesting. well, yeah, I mean, women are the fastest growing um, number of veterans, um, and they really don't want to deter women from joining the army at this point, or joining any of the armed forces. Um, and sexual assault and harassment are, are deterrence factors, and it's a, it's a readiness issue, frankly. So, I think that this current um, defense secretary is pretty focused on it. And it's going to be an interesting time to see if they actually really try to attack the problem. Well, kudos to you for for being a journalist and you know covering those things. And we're going we'll lighten things up a little bit here and go to go to the whiskey. Okay. Uh, I, I sent you I sent you uh, an array of of things to taste here, mm-hmm. and every one of them uh, kind of have their own little unique story. But I want to start with uh, let's start with the Old Forester, the one seventeen mm-hmm. series, and the reason why we're going to start with that one is it's made by a good friend of mine. Her name is Jackie Zykin. She mm-hmm. is the mas- she is the master taster for Old Forester, okay. and she is one of the most talented individuals in um, in in whiskey right now. Not just bourbon, not you know, not just American whiskey, and all of whiskey. Did I read somewhere that women are really great tasters because it has to do with um, olfactory systems being a little bit uh, more refined with women, uh, just biologically, uh, and they end up being really great at that? 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely true. And I also think there is a, you all are kind of raised to focus a little bit more on scent. Mm -hmm. uh, like you're always smelling perfumes, like perfumes is a, a part of your culture of like, you know, being raised of like, you know, um, it, I didn't wear cologne or anything like that. And I know that, you know, when I was in high school, you know, there was always perfume everywhere. And, and so like, just even ha having, even if the, the, the genetics are not there to be like a, to smell like the, you know, growing up, you know, girls are typically more, um, you know, sense and taste and things like that are typically more brought to them as they're being raised in, in kind of like the, and like how things used to be like, I think moving forward, things are very different, but like when I was raised in the eighties and nineties, that was the case. But genetically from a, both a hormonal perspective and, and like, uh, just like how you all, you know, smell and taste very different than men. Uh, but, um, you know, still you have to, you know, pay attention to, to it in order to capture it. So, but genetically, women have the upper hand. It's true. Well, I look, I like, I look forward as we're drinking to talk more about women and whiskey. And um, here in the District of Columbia, we have a, a really cool female-owned distillery, Republic Restoratives. Yeah, um, a lot of really great individual things they're doing: aging and rum barrels, and just like just it's a beautiful space for one thing. Um, and they manage the the pandemic really well. Great, great delivery, takeout, you know situation made hand and sanitizer at one point for the district of columbia so super I, cool place. i think i have a bottle of theirs in here is it the kamala they have a um, kamala harris uh one. Oh, is that the um the borough yep i that's that's one of my go-to that's always in my bar yeah yeah i have this in uh i don't remember when i tasted this but i i, I tasted this at some point but yeah i i uh I, I just randomly put put that on my shelf the other day. Cool. I have I have so many bottles I don't I can't keep track of them. So of the fact the fact that I was able to find one, uh, Jennifer is a is a miracle on, yeah, uh, on the fly that. like that. You know. Yeah, you're the whiskey guy. <laughs> so, one of the things uh, you know to me, like as we kind of go through this tutorial, am I pouring the, by the way? Oh yeah, it's it's okay. it's pouring time. I like to I like to analyze the color. The color is kind of like just kind of like a look into what the bourbon could be. And you know, here we are, we're looking at a a very beautiful dark color and this is this is a look at like a band, right? It's like if if a band was uh if you're judging a band by its cover album, you know, okay. this is you know, the cover might be awesome, but the music may stink, you know, so it's, it's very similar. Sometimes the color is an indication of something great to come. And sometimes it's a, it's, it's a letdown, but, uh, here I see a beautiful, uh, amber color. You can okay. see that light is really reflecting beautifully there for you. So, and it, what do you, you do you find this to be amber or more russet? What what is your what should, what would be your description on the color? I do think it looks amber. It really reminds me. Um, again, not to not to completely uh, uh, 
genderize this conversation as it were, but it, it makes me think of amber jewelry, actually. I mean, that's mm. what I, I think of when I see that. Speaking um, of your speaking of your friend in New Mexico, that's very popular out there. Like the, yeah. some, of the some of those ambers and the stones that they have. I love I love New Mexico. Complete. She side, was very. Side it's funny you mentioned that. That's actually in my book describing her jewelry because she has these very sophisticated wool suits and she always has beautiful turquoise um, and silver jewelry. Uh, it's quite amazing. Now, did you have any of like the New Mexico red chilies with last time you went down there? No, you know, I didn't go um, with Deb Holland to her district. That was one of the ones that I never got to. Um, and, but I am super eager to do that. Uh, and oh man, try that. New Mexico, New Mexico food is so underrated. It's so uh-huh. good. It's so good. They got they use like red chilies, and I, you know what, mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't had their recipe of meatloaf, and we're going to talk about meatloaf in a minute, sure. but. I bet you if they put a little bit of those red chilies in the meatloaf, that might really be, That'd be something. awesome. Might be something. Okay, so when we smell, you want to smell with your mouth open and go side to side. By smelling with your um, mouth open, you're relaxing your olfactory. And in some cases, some people can like breathe it in and taste it on the way out. Uh huh. But most importantly, to me, it's like you're not overloading your nose. So sometimes when people smell alcohol, it's just like, Bam! Just punches their nose, and they can't really, um, can't really recover. So I like to like go side to side. What a great technique! What a, I love that you really do begin to taste it. It's very you, you can really. This is this is part of the beauty of whiskey, is you can like get in there and you can go back and forth with it. You can go back to smelling it. Hmm. It is something. This is and this is a beautiful one. This is lovely. Now, do you what do you what are you picking up? I feel like it's like um, I'm almost I can almost visualize a long um, ribbon of caramel, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. I think it's absolutely spot on. But not in a um, cloying sense, right? Like it's the caramel flavor itself. It's the it's it's when you when you make caramel and it starts to break down, you know, and get that that sticky part. That that's. And it can be with a lot of different dishes. Yes. And so now, as you put it to your palate, think mm-hmm. about what you smelled as you're going to your palate. Okay. And then focus on where it's hitting your tongue. So you'll get like you know sweetness on the tip of your tongue. You'll get savory in the middle. And then in uh, toward the back of the middle and toward the back, you'll get bitterness. And in toward the back, you'll get uh, spice. And then in your throat, you can still get some spice. Uh, if you feel it down your jawline, you know, that's typically going to be the bitterness. And so just focus on where it's hitting your tongue. And uh, once you've kind of focused on that, then think about, like, what flavors you are actually tasting there. So here we go. I love that you have these birds in the background just queued up for us. Well, that's I'm looking at a big red cardinal. Wow. Mm, that is so There's not one you know, sometimes <laughs> that you get. <laughs> and I'm not against it. 
but it's a whole different experience to be absent of that and just to have that just that silk movement without kind of stopping to sting you a little bit if that makes sense very much very mm. much uh in agreement with you on that it's just this is uh this is one of my whiskey of the year contenders okay um and it is absolutely every time i taste it it's absolutely gorgeous and i only have a little bit left so i better find a way to get some more bottles that's dangerous do i get a little bit do i get a little bit of fruit kind of like almost like a lemony or on the back of the tongue you talked about the different parts of the mouth where you taste things differently you know, citrus de- citrus definitely comes off as of spice a lot of times. Actually, mm-hmm. for, for all the time for me. But if you're like in the fruit wheelhouse, uh, this is so uh, so banana forward for me. So mm. you know, the caramel, mm-hmm. and I definitely do see that citrus that you're picking up. Yeah, ban- but banana, I feel that. I feel that. Yes. Now that you say that, and you think about banana and caramel together. You know what that evokes and what that's like. Like a bananas, like a bananas foster. Yeah, I really love bananas foster. By the way, you talk about underrated things. Who makes that? Nobody. Uh, we should. <laughs> I like the idea. You know, barbecue people love. Like I always see, I always see bananas foster uh, like barbecue, barbecues yeah. and stuff. You know, but no one makes it for you in their home. I bet. No, no, it's always at cookouts. I think we should bring back bananas foster for the next for the post COVID dinner parties. You know, Jennifer, this is why I liked you. I knew it I knew I liked you from the very beginning, just on Twitter. But you're like, you know, you're you're a comfort food person. The meatloaf, <laughs> the bananas foster. I love it. I go always. I've been really heavily into a lot of Indian cooking during the pandemic too. I bought a beautiful new cookbook um that um and been learning a lot about how to work with different spices and things like that and ordering different things and oh i like comfort food across the spectrum you know i love indian yeah. food is so amazing yeah. um i feel like it's uh so it gets kind of like categorized in the spice like when you talk about indian food like people just put it in like a put their spice hat on they just think about it from a spice perspective but i think there's so much more to indian food than just spice like i think i think it's complex well, it's, it's in, what this cookbook really points out too is just it's incredibly regional, you know, mm-hmm. a special a specialty recipe from this one city, you know, in these huge dynamic regions with you know these this area is vegetarian, this area is more Muslim, and you know just all these different um, eating habits, eating history, um, reflecting you know hundreds of years of history, but also colonial history depending on the region and, and different you know it's it's just. It just unfolds in so many different ways. Um, yeah, and it, definitely not all, all spicy. This, I have to say, I'm excited to try our next things, but I feel like you have introduced me to my new favorite thing ever now. Oh, wow. You give this to everybody as a present. Uh, it, this is a hard-to-get one. So this is a new limited edition uh, from Old Forester. I would say if you want something that's close that you can get, uh, look for Old Forester 1920. Okay. That is one that's very close to this, but this one's still, I think, just a notch above it. And um, um, again, I, I, it's to me, it's so good. 
It's so everybody get, do what he says and get as close to it as you can, because this is the divine experience. I'm glad you're sharing <laughs> with your friends and family how to try to replicate that, because that was something else. Well, I only I only send uh, send my guests the good stuff. I Whew. really do that. So that was uh, beautiful. So for my next one, we're going to go across the pond for a minute. We're going to go to yeah. Scotland uh -huh, and, and have, uh -huh. some, have some Johnny Walker Green Label. Mm -hmm. And this is a blended uh, malt scotch whiskey. It's the number two. Johnny Walker is the number two selling whiskey in the world. This is their Green Label 15-year-old uh, expression. And this brand would not be if not for two very prominent women in its history. And that's uh, uh, Helen Cumming and uh, Elizabeth Cumming. They were basically the pioneers and the stability behind Johnny Walker in, in Scotland uh, prior to them becoming, you know, what, what they are today. And, and, like, whiskey trades, like, transitions business, like they sell and all that. But there's always like a really strong base of business that propels it, you know, from the very beginning. It's the case with Bushmills. It's the case with Johnny Walker. It's the case with like Maker's Mark. There's so many brands like that uh, that had women propel it, you know, from very early on. And like they're nowhere on the bottle. <laughs> Is like, that a coincidence that we're talking about all these women, or did you did you curate it that way? Uh, well, I, I first of all, I get very excited talking about them, and I can find I typically like I curated this one actually from a flavor perspective. Okay, but um, I I as I I could talk about you know, the history of almost everything in, in whiskey and 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 like. I was as I set it up in the order of the tasting, this is all flavor profile and also you know a little bit of story. But I did not curate it in mind like that. But now that you mention it, you know, sometimes you know the mind subconsciously tells you to do things and you just do them. Yeah. But it kind of plays into uh, plays into uh, you know both of our books a little bit. So. My giddy up. You know, I must tell you though, I'm going into this with a little bit of a prejudice. I'm I'm super interested and excited about this experience because I'm not a big Scotch girl. Um, and, and why is that? Why what has turned you off about Scotch over the years? I think it's kind of the typical things that people who don't like Scotch and who love um, bourbon complain about. And I will say, when I went to Scotland and got to taste um, things across the spectrum. Obviously, that did evolve my views a little bit. But I am when I go to someone's house and they have scotch, you know, after dinner, it's that that super peaty situation is just um, not doing it for me at all. Um, and that's probably um, a pedestrian, narrow entry level view of scotch. And I'm not even talking about blended scotches. I'm talking about you know good scotch, but it's just um, not a flavor profile that's ever really excited me until I went to Scotland and got to taste around a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm super excited to see what you've picked here and, and see. Um, so it's, it's interesting because this one is not a smoky bomb. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not peaty. Uh, but let me ask you some of the, that, that, uh, that peat flavor, does it taste like band-aids to you? Band-aids. That's so funny. Band-aids. It tastes like 
a high school bonfire. I don't know. It's it's just or a barn or something. It's something um, fetid to me a little bit. And the thing about smoke is, let me be clear. Mm-hmm. Super love that. We'll take mezcal over tequila in any drink it any day and and really would love to go to Oaxaca and learn more about mezcal. I'm super mm-hmm. excited about mezcal. So it's not, I'm not anti-smoke. There's something about that more kind of wet hay thing that mm, Got it. looking for me. Well, then I think I picked the right scotch for you. Like, so the, the history of scotch is more about this bottle than those really peaty ones that you taste. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what, like in the 1800s, 1700s, this is what they were drinking. They weren't, so this really? is a, this is a blended malt versus a single malt. So this is, huh. this is, uh, this is a, a composite of, uh, several distilleries, you know, into one. Whereas like those single malts would, would be like that are really peaty to you, uh, from Isla are coming from one distillery. So and 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 while they may put those types of uh, scotches into a blend, the other types that may not have peat in them could soften it out. So here we are. Here we are. Wow! Go- what a history lesson. Thank you. We're going in. Here we go. Oh wow. I mean, that's scotch. That's not bourbon. It's true. <laughs> you know it, you know, blindfolded in a dark room, right? It's like, okay. It's its, it's its own personality. You know, it's the person at the party, if you're in a bourbon, it's like, oh, this that one's different. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking, little butterscotch? You know, first of all, I can never tell you what you're tasting. You were you were tasting exactly on point. Like I am an educator, like try to teach people how to find things on their palate. Mm-hmm. But like I could never ever tell you that, you know, you were getting that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I will say I do taste butterscotch. Okay. This this has always been like a honey bomb for me. Always okay. been a mm-hmm. but a honey bomb. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling it. How do you think somebody who, let's talk about like people who are super into Japanese whiskey, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, how do you think they would receive this? How would they experience this in contrast, for example? Well, when it comes to Japanese whiskey, I always like to have a conversation with folks about if they know whether or not that a, a, a vast majority of the the whiskey from, you know, that's got Japan on the label uh, is not actually distilled in Japan. Like a lot of it is brought in from Scotland. Interesting. Um, you know, so in its age there or whatever, but uh, there are distillers there that are doing it right. But there's not a lot of transparency in Japanese whiskey. Now there's an effort, there's an effort to change that, but there's not a lot of it. It's not a lot of transparency there. Um, and I, I think that, you know, someone who likes Hibiki, uh, yep. would tra- transition very nicely over to this. And they would be excited about it, right? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 yeah so I would say, and, and this is specifically Johnny Walker Green Label. This, mm-hmm. is my, this is my favorite of the Johnny Walker lineup, even over uh, Blue Label, which I do like, but I, I, I think there's something really tasty about this 15-year 
that uh, gets me gets me excited and want me to pour another one. You know, interesting. But if we were hanging out, you know, just post, you know, our bananas foster that we just enjoyed, and you had another one of those, I I would I think I'm gonna of course gonna go for that that old forester because this was such a sublime experience, you know, and this is something that I'm, you're opening my mind and saying, okay, that's, that's how scotch can taste. And that's interesting and different for me. But I think I'm so leaning into that. Um, so far that old forester so much. Awesome. Well, I, I'm excited that, uh, we, we've opened your mind just a little bit on, on the capabilities of, um, of scotch because it's not, you know, it's not for everybody, but I do like scotch, and I'm excited that I also introduce you to one of uh, what I think is one of the best whiskeys of the year so far. And um, you know, the the next one, mm-hmm. as as we pour this one, this one is uh, this is a blend of straight whiskeys. Of uh, this is a blend of um, rye and bourbon. Okay, it's it's called High West Boo Rye. So. This just, this company is out of Utah, but they okay. buy but they buy whiskey from uh, Indiana. Okay. And um, you know, as we kind of get into this, I wanted to ask you where your passion for meatloaf came from. <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing, you know. I got so much pushback from people about meatloaf because they had so many negative associations with bad meatloaf. Um, and bless their mother's hearts. That's usually the kitchen that it came from. Even if they liked their mother's cooking in other ways, they didn't like meatloaf. They had these terrible associations. Um, and my my good friend Frank Bruni, who is an op-ed columnist for us, um, been, he was a very diverse career. He was a restaurant critic, um, Rome bureau chief. Uh, really, obviously, very interested in in food as I am a good friend and we would always exchange meatloaf recipes. And one day he said, wouldn't it be funny if you wrote a meatloaf cookbook? And I said, let's do it. So we embarked on this project um, and tried to really get everyone, try to, you know, bridge that gap with meatloaf recipes from people's personal history that were actually yummy. And then I developed, the two of us developed a lot of recipes trying to reflect um, other foods that we liked, like Mm -hmm. yakitori or something, you know, a, a meatloaf or, uh, you know, everyone kind of loves the Ikea meatballs. So could we make a Swedish meatloaf? You know, that kind of thing. And even vegetarian ones um, or ones that are that are fish-based. And we just had, it was just like a lark, a fun project for us. Um, but honestly, I picked that book up now and then and I cook from it still because um, meatloaf is easy. And once you have a couple specific techniques down, um, that are kind of universal with almost all meatloafs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're easy and they're pretty affordable and they feed, you know, a lot of people or in my house, you know, probably only two of us now. Everything I say serves four, like, or two of us, right? But, um, and I just think it's, it's um, it, it can have appropriate and pleasant um, cultural and personal associations if it's made properly people it's like everything else if you don't if it's not made well it's not going to be good right but if it's made well it's going to be delicious absolutely and you know the other thing is you know children i don't know what it is about meatloaf my kids eat meatloaf you know i, mm-hmm. I can't i can't get them to eat a steak but they'll eat meatloaf oh that's interesting maybe it's a texture thing 
Could be. Easy to chew, soft in the mouth. You know, we think about drinking this whiskey, the mouthfeel, right? And what, mm-hmm. and what, what, what's pleasant to you when it hits your palate? Maybe meatloaf does it for them. Do you, when you make your meatloaf, do you saute your onions? Um, no, I don't. No, you put them raw. Uh, yeah, I put them. Yeah, I put them in raw, so I like them. We like them a little crunchy. And the kids like that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, because sometimes that'll turn the kids off. And I tend to saute my my um, onions, which are pretty fundamental to any meatloaf. And sometimes that's the thing that gets people, is that texture. But your kids like it, so it's, yeah, you know. yeah, they do like it. And there's also the the ketchup ratio, or like the sauce mm-hmm. over the top ratio, like. Sure. I got to slather it, you know, and like, even after I cut it, I got to put a little bit on there. So, um, you got to do it just right to, to appeal to the, to the seven year old critic. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Masses in your house. But it's, uh, it, 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 I, I find it fascinating because the meatloaf is a little bit like, um, it's, it's a little bit lost in our culture. Like all the, fine dining and even the fast casual stuff you know it promotes like cuisine that is not the meatloaf you know like meatloaf is like like you see it gone in a lot of restaurants unless you're going to like a cafe in the country or something it's just it's just like it's kind of like lost in our culture and so when i saw that when you when you like champion the meatloaf i was like this is pretty cool yeah uh, meatloaf can be really good. <laughs> I have a question, by the way. All of these that you've, that we're about to taste one more, and of, of mm-hmm. the of these three total, would you, would you always, in every case, drink these neat? Um, for analytical purposes, yes. Okay, but for, for enjoyment purposes, for enjoyment depends on the enjoyment, like. I, I like to give the conversation if I'm at a baseball game. Uh, I do like it with, you know, ice. Um, and if that's the case, there's only so many things that I like with ice. Like, I wouldn't like the Johnny Walker with ice, but I think I think the old Forcer would be great with ice. I think what we're about to taste, uh, uh, the, high, uh, the High West, would be a really great one in a Manhattan. But I wouldn't oh, want okay. it. I, I wouldn't want it in ice. But oh, the old, oh, tell us why. Tell me. Teach me about why that. What's the difference? Why? Well, this is just a personal opinion. But I think like I think like the ice uh, on, on this one would would beat it up, would break it down. But I feel like in a Manhattan, uh, and then I've had it with a Manhattan. It goes beautiful with the vermouth, and the old Forester is just so beautiful, and neat. I mm-hmm. wouldn't. I wouldn't mess with it any other way. Agree that, and I like a, a nice an ice, but I would drink that neat because you don't want one thing interfering with it. And yeah. when you make a Manhattan, do you prefer a perfect Manhattan, or what, what kind of Manhattan do you like? Oh, thousand percent perfect Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we, what, what are we doing here? We're in here. We're in here. We're going into the High West Burai. My first observation about this is that it has a much more subtle aroma. Than the other two, I don't know if that's where we are in the tasting, or this is, or it's the booze. I don't. You tell me. I think if you're it's right. Vis-a-vis, if it's vis a vis, the other two, or this, and that's I where think, we're I th- I, 
I think it I think it has a more robust nose than the than the Johnny Walker. But let me go back to the Johnny Walker. Well, well, no, I take that back. Very different. So this is this is a combination of rye whiskey, which is its own category, and bourbon. It smells like coffee to me. Coffee and hazelnuts. Well, uh huh. I get it. What are you smelling? It, you're, well, it's funny. You put that suggestion to me. It's like when you're colorblind and someone explains to you that that's red, and then all of a sudden you start to see a little bit more. It's like all of a sudden hazelnut, yes. But I, it's so it's like a very lightly toasted butter or something. It's just so subtle. Well, here we yeah. go. To the taste. Hmm. Well. Mm. I feel like the rye is at the finish. Takes me a second. Also some fruit for sure again. But more like the lemon, almost like the pith or something. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's I, because it was so subtle in the aroma, I expected it to be... Um, no edge. And that's not true. It's a little it's a little zingier than the others. Other two actually. A little zing out of the out of the gate. It's Ooh. different. It's it really it's buttery, right? Or something. Mm -hmm. It's Well, this is um so this was one of my whiskey of the years for last year. And okay. this has been one of my favorite things to sip. Um when I'm in a particular mood and it is always like a, so you, you mentioned buttery, like, and I'm trying to think of, there's a spicy butter that's out there. It's not like a cinnamon butter, but it's, but it's like, uh, it's got like peppers in it, like a, like a peppery kind of nature to it. Like, and you, and you put it on a bagel, and you're like, ooh, you know, it's like, to me, this has like a, a peppery butter with, um, on on like a nice toasted everything bagel. Is like that a compound what? butter or something? Yeah. When you said you're you're in a certain mood, like, what's the mood? What what is it? What what takes you to the place that you prefer to to sip this? I this is a think this is a thinking whiskey for me. Like I I I don't. Like I want to read, or I want to listen to classical music. I don't really want to, you know, talk. Uh, I just want to think, you know. So this is a honestly. I mean, very few people would understand this. This is a book. This is a book proposal whiskey. So like, <laughs> I'm writing a book proposal, which people don't understand how massive those things can be. Way to the ass. And how much yes. work they are. Yes. So hard. They're harder than the book in a weird way, which I guess is the right thing because you have to have proof of concept, you know, in the book, in the proposal, but they really do hurt your brain. So this is the solution, apparently. This helps with book proposals. Yeah. And classical music. So when you're, so when you're listening to your friends in heavy metal, what, what do you drink then? 
Actually, I, I feel like heavy metal is a lot like classical music. Uh, oh, okay. A lot of the same stuff, uh, you know, outside of lyrics. If, like, if you actually don't pay attention to the lyrics in heavy metal, it's just one orchestra with, you know, different instruments. Like, they just, they have a lot of instruments in there often. Okay. And uh, usually great bass, and I love bass. But usually when I'm, when I'm watch, listening to heavy metal or watching it, um, which, by the way, great, The Sound of Heavy Metal, great movie. Oh, the sound of music. Yes, that sound of metal. Yes, sound, yeah, great music. That great is movie. an intense experience watching that movie. It's yeah, you, putting yourself in that um, situation. Um, great, great movie. The actor, he's beautiful. It really is, and um, I, but it's gonna sound weird, but I like high proof Jack Daniels is really what I like with heavy metal. Okay. Yeah. Wow, I think that's. That maybe that's your next book, like which what to drink with each kind of music, and maybe what you're reading. Well, as as my I'm agent hearing. as my agent always says, like, is there an audience for that book? <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it. Uh, I know it's, it's, it's niche, niche. We're book nerds, though. Like in you know, and and by the way, like a a, a couple of your colleagues like you know clay risen and mm -hmm. uh josh uh crutch josh and i went to uh uh college together we were on the same collegiate mm -hmm. newspaper staff and now he's designing the new york times which i'm so proud of him and all he's done but um you know it's it's a very different world for those who write books and it's so tiny and that book proposal wow. is such a pain it's such a pain. Yeah, it really is. But I'm enjoying this very much. What is your observation um, about people who prefer rye to bourbon? Well, rye is still a relatively new concept in the contemporary sense, and that rye was basically left for dead about mm, 1970 to 1989. Like rye whiskey, really, its hallmark area in the United States, Pennsylvania, Maryland, New York. Everywhere else was like uh, corn whiskey with patches of oat and uh, wheat and, and rye mixed in with corn. Okay. But on the East Coast, it was rye whiskey. That was really our first, our first whiskey was rye, was not bourbon. And... In rye just kind of fell by the wayside. Well, bourbon, it struggled uh, with the rise of vodka and other spirits. Yep. Mm -hmm. It definitely struggled, but it it still had structure. It still had a singular state in Kentucky that survived prohibition, mm -hmm. and um, rye did not. Rye did not have a champion state. Um, you know, Pennsylvania really was a is a weird state when it comes to alcohol laws mm -hmm. and it continues to be that way today, but a little bit of their own government and consumer demand basically was the death of uh, Pennsylvania rye. And now you're starting to see the return of it. But in the, in the return of rye is basically, and this is the funny story that a lot of people don't really get a chance to, um, wrap their hands around 
is that most rye is coming from one Indiana distillery that was making rye to go in Seagram's blends until Seagram's, you know, sold them. And those bl the, that blending whiskey went onto the market for individual brands like High West, which we just tasted, to bottle themselves. So it's... Um, we're just now reacquainting our palates uh, to what rye truly is and what it can taste like. And the sad part is a lot of other countries make rye, and we there is not like a flavor profile wheelhouse for rye. There just isn't. And okay. it's it's it can be all over the place. But when rye is made right, you know, you should be getting spice and you should be yeah. getting like some hints of smoke. So like mm -hmm. I I if someone's a staunch scotch drinker, I take them to rye before I take them to bourbon. Got it. So For spice over sweet. Well, you must bring in this conversation back to its roots. You must be quite familiar with Wiggle Whiskey then in um, Pittsburgh. Absolutely. I uh, mean, back to those traditions that you've just lamented in the, yeah. in Pennsylvania. Very dedicated to that. And they have driven me around in Pittsburgh about three or four in the morning. Uh, we've gotten lost a few times together in the middle of the night, but uh, I'm a big fan of Wiggle Whiskey, as well as Dad's Hat, uh, another mm -hmm. Pennsylvania distillery. Okay. So a lot of, lot of great stuff happening right now in Pennsylvania. I'm excited for them. Cool. And Pittsburgh, and we should mention to your listeners, the reason I say full circle about Wiggle is because that's, again, a female-owned business. Correct. Um, with a lot of family history and um, and quite remarkable women who know a great deal about the history of um, of uh, the rye experience in, in Pennsylvania and as it pertains to Pittsburgh specifically. So super cool women and I think quite delicious. Yeah, they've done a great job and – you know, I think they, I think they are probably close to like being like a national name. They're not okay. there. They're not there yet, but they're close. Same with Dad's okay. Hat, and I, I think it's, I think it's hard to be small and get recognition mm -hmm. on on a national level because so much of this business is still kind of decisions are made in back rooms with distributors and so forth. Right. And it has nothing to, it has nothing to do with anything more than like price and can we get case deals and uh the liquor business is very much still operated like it's 1955. Absolutely and crazy laws and you know yeah. everything uh it is it is really wild. I love when Congress tries to mess around with liquor because it's always a, a journey <laughs> tell me um i know you talk about this in your tutorial i watched on youtube but can we just spend a few seconds talking about glassware and why you think that's important well so my belief comes from being a, a critic and being a judge on on the product and not because um i want to be able to put ice in it or enjoy it. So I want I want a glass that is going to show the whiskey. There are a lot of glasses out there that will hide whiskey. And what I mean by that is like you you'll smell it and but you won't smell its essence. Like like the 
like the higher alcohols will kind of like go over here and where your nose is you'll just get all the esters and all the good stuff okay. the glen karen does not hide anything so you get the whiskey for what it is you swirl it around you push it up you smell it kind of go back and forth and you smell the whiskey that's it it's not hiding anything it's showing you exactly what it is it's giving you the the perfect uh uh or aromatic trajectory that you need to your nose and you get it if it's bad you get it if it's good and nothing in between it's like it is what it is and then this is what to me this is what sells the glen karen to me more than anything is that the way it gets on your tongue if you if you taste from a very popular glass called the norland's glass it will come in like uh like a beaded trajectory you know so like you will you will put it on your palate and you will taste like you know uh it, it's very narrow whereas if you put it on the glen karen on your palate it comes in like a wave like it's it's all encompassing on your palate so you're going to the whiskey will touch every part that you allow it to touch so it it's so this glass is important for two reasons how it allows you to smell it and how it hits your palate and uh and to me from a critic's perspective it's the two best things that i could possibly want now something else we live in we live in a very instagrammable world that is one of the best like instagram pictures to take in the light you know mm. it's it's a really good photo to put out there and i, I don't think I, I think it's a beautiful glass i think it's a piece of art uh it's all made you know it's made in scotland you know so they have a they have a dna to whiskey and so that's why you know this glassware is like so important to me okay and they don't give me money to say that uh i get glassware from them but i can get glassware from anybody and the fact is is uh i mean i still buy these glasses so you know but i'm able to put my logo on there and everything but like they don't give me money to say that i just i, I love the glass you know great so what was your favorite is it still going to be old forester for the win wow i think it appeals to my specific relationship um to, to whiskey and what I like to drink. But I have to say, um, I appreciated being introduced to that Johnny Walker green label. That was an interesting, fun education for me. I really do love this High West. I mean, it's just so, I, it's just kind of letting it sit in my mouth before in my last sip. And it's just such a pleasant, um, beautiful um, uh, bourbon, uh, but I, rye rather, uh, burr rye. <laughs> Burai, as you call it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. I think if you're talking to me, you're talking about moods. You know, if I come home from work and I got to have one pick, yeah, I probably would say I love that old Forester, but it's really special. I, you remember how we were talking at the beginning of this conversation about who do you miss and what does the pandemic illuminate about relationships? And I think if we were to take it full circle with these th three um, lovely drinks, if I really like you and I really missed you, I'd probably pour you a little bit of that old Forester because that'd be like, you know, I'd part with it a little bit. 
Aww. We're going to part with the things that we love for the people that we miss, but probably only then, right? Well, I uh, there's a belief in in whiskey that you break out you break out your best whiskey for your friends, you know, and mm-hmm. and and like if 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 your friend is like hiding the good whiskey from you. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're not as good of a friend as you mm-hmm. thought, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I I, yeah. I bring out my whiskey, my my best whiskey for for everybody, a total stranger. And you know when we had um, when we were having um, you know some of our protests going on in Louisville, I had thought oh. about I had thought about going to the protesters and bring them bur- bringing them bourbon, and like trying to get people to drink bourbon like there and have a conversation. And I was like, yeah. you know, I was like, yeah, that, pro- that probably won't work out right now. So I, <laughs> I just, I just, I just ended up, you know, you know, marching a couple times, but like it was, um, it, it is, it is an interesting, it's an interesting thing about like who you choose to, uh, bust out your good bourbon with. It really is. Yeah. You know? And part of it is that you want them to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, if they're really not into bourbon, they're not interested in bourbon. That's just a bummer. You know, give serve them some wine, something else, you know, right? Um, but if you know it's someone who loves to drink whiskey and it's it's kind of um exciting, you know, to share a special find like these. I'm very grateful that you shared these with me. It's really just a massive treat. I'm so appreciative. Well, had to drink them with you and have you talk me through them. It's just a great experience. It's my pleasure. And I'm so excited for all the stuff you got going on. Again, the book is the first, the inside story of the women reshaping uh, Congress. You've got uh, you've got so many other great things going on. How can people find you? What's something you want to put out there in the world? Lay it all on us. Well, jennifersteinhauer.com does have all my books, my novel, two cookbooks, and and this uh, nonfiction book about women in Congress. So if anybody's interested in those topics, uh, I'd love to have you check out my books. And, you know, Fred, I think we should get together sometime again and talk more about women um, and the history of women in, in the whiskey world and uh, both history and contemporary. Um, and oh. you could have a whole conversation with some other folks too, just about that. It would be just super fun and drink some more stuff, you know, with women, uh, distillers. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of great ones out there and you know, it's a, it's a movement. Uh, but it's also like, you know, I, I am a fan of letting them talk and not letting mm-hmm. me, you know, I'm happy to, I want to tell their stories, but I'm always very clear with people like, I want them to talk like it's not yep. about it's not about me. It's about them. And and like uh, the the movement of women and whiskey, it's always been there. It's just now that, you know, the locks off the door and, you know, they're allowed to move up. And I hate to put I hate it to put it in that sense. But women have always been in these companies They've just not had the opportunities that they're getting now. And I am so thankful that they are because people like Jackie with the old forester that you just tasted, yeah. they're, cha- they're changing whiskey and they're changing yeah. whiskey for the better. 
absolutely props, for the better. Many, many props to all these women. And thank you so much for elevating them and, and for, for having me on. Well, it was my pleasure. And everybody, if you haven't yet, go check out uh, Jennifer on all her socials and go to her website. Um, and again, thanks for coming on. And uh, I look forward to the next time, hopefully in person. Me too. I hope so. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Cheers. Oh, also, one other thing. Vodka sucks. <laughs> Concur. Retweet. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. And a big shout out to Jennifer for uh, sipping some whiskey with me and uh, talking meatloaf, reporting her book, and all the good things to come that she's doing. Seriously, go give her a follow on Twitter and all the social medias. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Make sure you give us a review on however you listen or download your podcast. It helps with the algorithms. If you also want to check us out on YouTube, go on over there. Just search for my name, Fred Minnick. Give us a follow on all the social medias out there. Just look for my name, Fred Minnick. But that's going to do it for this week. Be safe out there. No licking handrails, no licking trash cans. And remember, vodka sucks unless it's being used for hand sanitizer. Cheers, everybody. You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by Michter's American Whiskies and by 291 Colorado Whiskey. For more information on Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to fredminnick.com. Hey, this is Adam Carolla from The Adam Carolla Show. Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports wagering info this summer with all the stats, news, scores, and matchups. Keep the latest game odds, live lines, and matchup reports at your fingertips with Bet Online. We're your sports intel headquarters for every event all summer long. Baseball, golf, MMA, and championship boxing, Bet Online has it all. Get ready for the upcoming football season, too. Get it all at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest, easiest way to get your betting info and access your favorite casino and card games. All right from your mobile phone. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Bet online, where the game starts.